great man Moses was. Moses was so talented in so many areas. But you see, Moses didn't become Moses, the great leader of God, when he was born. God made him that way by the things that he allowed Moses to face. Our theme verse for the series of lessons has been Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble or very meek, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. You know, in our previous lessons, we began looking at Exodus chapters 1 and 2. And there we saw Moses as a man prepared by God. He received the Egyptian education. He received the talent and the ability that he would have, but he was not ready to serve God. And in the lesson that followed, we looked at chapters 3 and 4, where Moses was now sent into the wilderness to tend the sheep of his father-in-law Jethro. And there he learned a number of lessons, and God called him, and he produced five excuses saying, I can't do it, God, I can't do it. The third lesson, which was our lesson last week, Moses had to exhibit his meekness before God in confronting Pharaoh. God had told Moses to go, and Moses went, and Pharaoh would refuse. But now in our lesson this morning... Moses is going to face a different kind of challenge. He had had to face the challenge of standing before Pharaoh and saying to Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. Now he stands before God's people and says, you must be obedient. You must follow God's will. And Moses will confront sin in their lives. Moses will present the law of God and then insist that Israel keep it. This morning, I know you can't believe it, but we're going to cover chapters 15 through 32. We're not going to look at every verse or every detail. What we are going to do is we're going to look at three basic ideas. The instructions that God is going to give to Israel. Number two, we're going to look at at least three or four incidents of sin that were in their life, and Moses, as he is forced to challenge them on that. And then finally, we want to look at some intervention and intercession. Intervention because just like when people today have addictions and they have difficulties in their life, there has to be some intervention by the family. Moses had to intervene for God in the lives of these people. But then he turned around and interceded for them. Let's begin. Let's look, first of all, at the instructions. Micah just read for us just a few moments ago from chapter 19 and verses 3 through 6. I do want to preface some of this so that you can appreciate what is going on. In chapter 19, Moses has the children of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. They have come through the Red Sea, they have come to this mountain, and now they are ready to worship God. God's going to call him up to the mountain. He's going to tell him in verse 4, You have seen what I've done to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Then the message is, 
Tell this people to obey me. Tell them to listen to me and they will become a special treasure to me. The truth is Egypt didn't listen. When Moses said to Pharaoh, God said, let my people go, he said, who is the Lord? I do not know the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2. He is telling them now to keep his covenant. And in so doing, they will become a special treasure. He says, all of the people of the earth are mine. But he says, you will be a special treasure to me. Right after the giving of the law, in chapter 24, verses 7 and 8, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. Then Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant of the Lord is made with you. According to all these words, folks, pay attention. Notice here that he is saying, this is the covenant. This is the agreement. These are the words that God has said, and you will keep them. Instructions were given on how to love God and love their fellow man. You know, in Matthew 22, a man came to Jesus and asked him the question, what was the greatest of the commands? Evidently, we have this idea that there are some of the commands that we have to keep and others that are somehow optional. Jesus didn't deal with it that way. He explained that the whole law and the commandments of the prophets can be summarized under these two. He said in verse 38, this is the great commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. He said the sackets likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. When I look at the church today, I see a lot of similarities between Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. You see, just like God looked at Israel and said, You are my people, you're special if you keep my law. And then the parallel in Matthew 26, verse 28, Jesus said, This is my blood of the New Testament or the New Covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. We are a special people in God's eyes. We have received the law just like they have. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God at various times and various ways spoken to the fathers by the prophets in uh, the time past, but he has last day spoken unto us. By his son. In chapter 8, verses 6 through 10, he talks about that he has become the mediator of a better covenant established upon better promises. And he says, I will write my laws in their heart. But when I get to chapter 12, there is a beautiful picture there of contrasting Israel. At the foot of Mount Sinai and those of us today, he said, if you have not come to a mountain that may be touched, that burned with fire, the blackness, the darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. 
And he goes on to explain that even so much as if a beast should touch the mountain, it should be stoned or shot through with an arrow. So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly terrified or afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the firstborn. And then he says to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. You see, he compares the children of Israel as they stood at the foot there of Mount Sinai and they saw that mountain. He said, you've not come to that mountain. You've come to the real one, to the mountain of God. But God gave them consequences. He said, if you don't obey, you will be held accountable. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and bring you the place that I have promised or prepared. Beware of him. Obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. Folks, if you only could appreciate the greatness of the angel of the Lord as he led the children of Israel through the wilderness to the promised land. And as you think about the plan of God that says that the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus the Christ, leads us through our wilderness to our promised land. They were not to disobey, neither are we. Which leads me to the second aspect of the lesson. And that is the incidence of sin. You have to appreciate the children of Israel and their failures. And God said to them in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, You shall remember the Lord your God who led you in the wilderness these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. You see, what God allowed happen is the children of Israel faced a number of different challenges to see whether or not they would be faithful. And do you know what they did? Well, let me show you. If you go to Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 26, one of the very first things that they do after going through the Red Sea as they come to the area called uh, Mara. Mara means bitter. Verse 24, the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? He cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it in the waters, the waters were made sweet. And here's the important part of verse 25. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them and there he tested them. Do these people trust me or not? And so what God did, He provided water, sweet water for them at Marah. You go to chapter 16. You look at verses 2 and 3. The children of Israel had plenty of food when they were in Egypt. Nevertheless, they were still in bondage. Verse 3 The children of Israel said, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat where we ate bread to the full. And what did they do? They complained to God. God gave them manna. God gave them quail till it ran out their nose. The third indication is found in chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. And 
The time will not permit us to look at every detail here. But I want you to notice the children of Israel complained again. They're thirsty. And what do they do? Verse 3, why is it you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us? Our children and our livestock with thirst. Moses cried out to the Lord, they're almost ready to stone me. And what happens is God provides them water there at Meribah. So you look at the first three tests before they even get to Mount Sinai and they failed. God tested them and they failed. Now, what God tells Moses to do is to prepare the people to listen. Teach them to open their ears. Teach them to open their hearts. In chapter 19, verses 10 through 15, he tells them, first of all, to wash their clothes. Consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them be ready on the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. He explains they need to set boundaries all the way around the mountain so that no one comes up and breaks through to it. He says, not a hand shall touch him. He shall be utterly stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast. He shall not live. And when the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people. and They washed their clothes. And he said, be ready for the third day. You see, God wanted them to respect the mountain and God's presence. It's just like when Moses on this same mountain came and he saw the burning bush and God told him to put off his shoes, his sandals, because the place where he was was holy ground. This mountain was holy and they were to respect that. They did that by washing their clothes. What is amazing, if you keep on reading chapter 19, is the picture of what happens when God comes on the mountain. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke and the Lord descended upon it in fire. And I want you to know the last part of verse 19. Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Folks, if you and I had been there at the foot of that mountain, we would have been scared to death. There would have been the trembling, the noise. You just got to see the, the event that's taking place. But again, they failed. What? How did they fail? Exodus 19, verses 20 through 25. God sends Moses down from the top of the mountain. You've got to get down, Moses. Why, Lord? Because the people are going to break through and gaze. Verse 21. Also, verse 22. Let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Moses said, The Lord, people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. For you warned us, saying, set bounds around the mountain, consecrate it. Away, get down. Do you know what's happening? As awesome of an experience as this is, as trembling as everyone is, there's still people about to break through and touch the mountain. There's still people 
who fail to respect the God of heaven. There's failure here. But now turn with me to Exodus 32. We've looked at before the giving of the law, now the after the giving of this law. Now let's go to chapter 32. I know you're very familiar with this incident, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time belaboring it. While Moses is upon the mountain, the people are beginning to become impatient. They come to Aaron and verse 1 says, Come, make us gods to go before us. For is this Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt? We do not know what has become of him. Aaron says, Break off the golden earrings that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. They brought them to Aaron. Verse 4 says, and he received the gold from their hand, and he, now listen carefully because Aaron's going to reply later, he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made the molded calf. Molded means it was put into some form. The engraving tool tells you he spent time creating it. And it says in verse 6, They rose early in the morning, offered up burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. God has to send Moses down from the mountain. Verse 9 is significant. I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. They have become impatient. They lacked restraint because Aaron was not restraining them. The Jewish Publication Society's translation says of this verse, For Moses saw the people were out of control. Aaron let them get out of control. What is happening? The people who had said, We will worship God, we will obey Him, we will do what He says is now bowing down to a golden calf made by a man. Moses was angry. He broke the tablets of stone. Now I remember as a child thinking that perhaps Moses broke those tablets of stone because he was so mad, like some people just throw things down. No, he was showing to the people a symbolic lesson. You have broken the covenants that God has made with you. Now let's talk about some intervention and intercession. There had to be some immediate intervention here. What is going on is unacceptable to God. The whole nation of people has gone astray. There had to be the immediate destruction of that idol. Chapter 32, verse 20. He takes the calf. He burns it in fire. He takes it. He grinds it into powder. He scatters it in the water makes them drink it. You've got to know what you've done is wrong. There had to be an immediate rebuke of Aaron. Aaron, you know better than this. Verses 21 through 24. Moses asked him, What did this people do to you that you brought this great sin upon them? Aaron responds by saying, You know the people, they're set on evil. They said, Make us gods. Verse 24, he said, So they gave it to me, I cast it in the fire, and this calf came out. Yeah, right. You molded that calf. 
You engrave that calf, Aaron. There had to be an immediate call for separation. Now, folks, here's where the lesson's at. You see, there has been sin in God's people, and Moses has had to confront it in Pharaoh and in the Egyptians, but now God is saying, you've got to confront sin among our own people. Verses 26 through 28. Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And they, he said to them, Thus says the Lord God Israel, Let every man put a sword on his side and go out from the entrance to the entrance of the, throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. 3,000 men fell that day. Wow. Who's on the Lord's side? There was intervention, but now there's intercession. You see, Moses is seeing what's happening. Oh, yes, he led this intervention, but he also looks and says, Lord, Please take care of this people. Verse 30, And it came to pass on the day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, so I will now go up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned and said, The Lord, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made themselves a God of gold. Yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. Of course, God's response to Moses is, whoever sinned against me, I'll blot him out. Moses, you don't take it. But what does go on is the fact that God does stay the plague and the people are interceded for. Now very quickly, I want to apply this to those of us who live today because it's great to study the lessons of the past and all these great wonderful principles that are found there, but... We have to look and say, what does that mean to the way I live today? And the first thing is you have to prepare to worship God. I think of the children of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, and I, I can see these people. They've washed their clothes. They have prepared themselves to worship God. You've heard me mention several times that when I was Growing up as a little boy, we have what we call Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. We wore the very best we could wear. We tried to demonstrate our respect for God by the way we dressed. Here God expects them to wash their clothes, to consecrate themselves. But it's not just the clothes we wear. It's the minds that we have. When we come to church, have we put as much thought in preparing our minds to worship God as we have the clothes we picked out? Have we prepared our minds to be as impressive to God as the clothes that we wear? It's extremely important. Number two, man needs instruction from God. As I see the children of Israel, they needed those instructions you and I may think we know how to offer good worship to God, but we don't. 
Jeremiah 10, 23 says, O Lord, I know the way of man. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. Just like Judges 21, 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. And every one did what was right in his own eyes. You and I have to have instructions from God to know what he wants from us. Number three, those commandments reveal what sin is and how grievous sin is. Just like Romans chapter 7, verse 7, verse 13, said, I would not have known coveting except the Lord said, you should not covet. And then verse 13, he says that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Number four, the church is God's special treasure today. You know, we think about being God's chosen people. Yes, God did save, choose to save the church. And you and I can be a part of it. And we can be that special treasure if we're obedient to His will. God still expects obedience and separation from the sinner. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 14, both discuss those who walk contrary or disorderly and that we are to withdraw ourselves from those people. God still says, I want my people to be pure. I want my people to stand holy. And if some of us decide we're going to depart from the Lord and we're going to participate in sinfulness, we ought to expect those who are on God's side to say, I can't walk with you anymore. Number six, sometimes one is called upon to take a stand with the righteous, the Lord's side. Sometimes you and I have to look past our friendships and our families, as did the Levites. And say, who is on the Lord's side? I'm going to be counted for what's right. Folks, it's not going to be but just a few weeks. And some of us are going to cast some votes. This is not political. And when you and I cast our votes in the city of McMinnville, and the question is going to come up, Will you approve alcohol to be sold? We'll have to make a decision whether or not we're going to stand with God's people and what God wants done or whether or not we're going to try to vote a pocketbook or some way our friends or others feel. Sometimes we have to be counted for what is right. God looked at the children of Israel and said, I want you to be a holy people. Moses was meek and humble in what he did because he did what God wanted done. Moses would say, I'll submit myself to what God would have done. And sometimes this humility before God, this meekness before God requires us to rebuke our brethren. Oh, that's not always easy. But after all, we're trying to serve God because God must be honored and respected in everything we say and do. If you'll take your songbook now, we're going to sing an invitation song. I'd like to encourage you to be like Moses and humble yourself.
to make yourself meet before the God of heaven and say, God, you tell me what you want me to do, and that's what I will do. If you're not a Christian, here's what he asks you to do. To believe in Jesus Christ, his son, John 8 and verse 24. To repent of your sins, Luke verse 13, verses 3 and 5. To confess you, your faith in him, Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. And then to be baptized for the remission of your sins, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. And here's what else he says. I want you to be faithful to me for the rest of your life. And if you've not been faithful to him, we're privileged to be able to pray with one another and ask for God's forgiveness. If you need to respond, would you come as we stand and sing?